Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. We get to finish this morning um, the book of James. We've been going through that for quite a few months now, and we're looking at James chapter 5, verses 13 through to 19. I'm going to bring three thoughts out of the book of James. But just uh, beforehand, I just we had an opportunity as a family over the Easter break to go on a bit of a road trip. And um, who knows, road trips with families are pretty interesting, amen? And uh, for us in particular, we, ca- we towed a caravan and uh, right, right down, we went down to Eden and to Tarthra and uh, went to a place, um, uh, Phillip Island, and, and stayed there. What a beautiful, I mean, we live in the best country in the world. I mean, spectacular. We went to uh, Phillip Island and paid for the, uh, paid for the Penguin Watch. And, um, you know, that was, that, was, that was pretty cool for the first 10 penguins. But I found after about 50, they just do the same thing. They sort of come out of the water, they shake their heads, they come in, they go back, they come in, they go back, they regroup, and then they go back up on the beach. So after about 50, we said, let's go home, because it was a bit cold, <coughs> and uh, we did. And then we went to the, <coughs> the Great Ocean Road. I mean, wow. If you haven't done the Great Ocean Road, you need to do the Great Ocean Road before you depart this earth and go to the next one, I mean, the next, uh, next life, because the Great Ocean Road is awesome. We, we pulled up and we saw the great, uh, the, 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 the 12 apostles, and there's only nine now, but that's okay. Just absolutely spectacular to see them. But you know, I was saying all that to say this, that while we were traveling, I got to listen to um, um, uh, a news report. I think it was about the first week of the holidays, and it was a report from Egypt. And there were two bombings that took place over there, um, Is Islamic militants bombed two churches, and we, we heard about 44 people that, that died uh, in Egypt um, at, at the hands of these people, and just, just um, seeing the, 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 the image uh, on the TV that night, and um, just, just, you know, understanding the bloodshed that took place was quite moving for me, and then it was about a couple of days later that I read a, a, a post um, from Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham is Billy Graham's son. And Franklin Graham, just, just in that week, was over in Syria. And he was meeting with um, 5,000 Christians that were in a refugee camp over there. And he was just saying how moved he was uh, by the stories, the atrocities, the things that were happening to them in Syria because they were Christians. And, you know, the, the bloodshed and the loss of family. And it really struck me while I was just thinking about these, these terrible things that are happening to Christians around the globe that... I came to the realization that I don't think that we talk enough about it. I really don't think that we're moved enough about, you know, what's happening in the world today because these people are our brothers and sisters in the faith. And I really sort of thought, you know, Shane, how much do you talk about it in your family? How much do you pray about what's happening to these people in other parts of the world? And I thought, well, I I don't really. I just... I just get busy doing life and I just don't sort of take the time. And I was really stirred and I thought, well, you know, as a people, we need to change this. We, we do. We need to change this. We, we, need to, we need to stop being so busy and, and, and stop, you know, just stop talking about just us and, and maybe start to take the time to pray about and to talk about some of the things that are happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe. You know, the, the one bombing, there were a stack of um, 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 uh, priests, I guess, ministers in a church, all dressed and in, 
in a split second, a bomb goes off, and many of them are slaughtered and, and, and dead. And I think, I think that we should be a little bit moved by that. And I sort of got before God and said, well, Lord, I'm sorry, uh, you know, for not having um, um, a broad enough vision in the world and not, not being committed to praying. So, you know, as we move forward, um, we, we're going to begin a journey. It's not like we're changing tact or vision or anything like that, but I just believe that we need to start bringing more awareness to our church about what's happening and encouraging uh, us to be praying about and, and seeking God and seeing what we can do. Amen. And one of the, I know there's an organization called Open Doors, and uh, so I just asked Kim if she could make contact with them. So we would like to have a conversation with them and just see what we can do. Amen. Because I believe we need to. Come on. We need to. We need to be more aware. We need to be more um, um, vigilant and diligent and doing whatever it is. And I don't know what we can do. I do not know what we can do, but we've got to start with at least starting to talk about it. Amen. And praying. Amen. So I was really just wanting to share our trip just from that perspective that God really just, just I guess, spoke to my heart personally about we, we need to be talking about what's taking place. And, you know, we could, we could probably spend the next two days uh, bringing reports as to what's happening to people um, of the Christian faith across the globe today. But that's not what today is about. We'll talk about that at another time as well. Amen. So open up your Bibles this morning to James chapter 5. And put your finger on verse 13, amen? James chapter 5, verse 13. So James chapter 5, verses 13 to 19. I want to bring a few thoughts out of that. Uh, as I said before, over the last few months, we've been working through the book of James verse by verse. And I don't know about you, but I've found it such an encouraging uh, book to go through. Uh, it's really about how we demonstrate our Christian faith in practical ways. And this morning, we're concluding our journey in verses 13 through to 19. I want to read it and then draw out three thoughts from the Word of God today that hopefully will be helpful to you. And everybody said, Amen. It says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Why? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him or her with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a great thought there. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. May I pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that is divine, that is unchangeable. It is the truth that has transformed the hearts of billions of people and will continue to transform the hearts of millions and millions of people until Jesus return. I pray this morning as I draw these thoughts, Lord, that there's something for every person in this place. I pray in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. So the first three encouraging thoughts that come out of there that I wanted to touch on this morning is number one, the first, Bernard, number one, the first thought is this, the prayer 
of the elders. I want to just talk a little bit about what that is like, what that means, and why James is encouraging us to seek prayer from the elders. But it says in verse 14, verse A, it says, If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Amen. Listen to that there. Let him pray over him. James here specifically encourages the church members to call for prayer from the elders and to be anointed with oil. And the question that I wanted to ask this morning is this, why must we ask and why is it that James mentions the elders there to specifically be called and to pray the prayer of faith? I believe this, that we've all been called by God to pray for the sick. In fact, this is a part of the great commissioning to every believer. Did you know that you've been called by God to pray for the sick? Three of us in the front row here. Anyone else out there believes it? Come on, Peter, you believe it, amen. But listen to the great commissioning here because we've all been called. Mark chapter 16, verse 18, it says, They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, like green tea, it will by no means... That's deadly stuff, that green tea. It will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You know, as we look at everything that God's doing in our church and around our church, I think that there's got to continue to be a resurgence of people being bold and laying hands on sick people. Amen. Come on. Amen. A resurgence of laying hands on people. But James here mentions a specific prayer that involves the elders of the church and oil. Well, in the early New Testament church, we see elders were appointed to lead and bring spiritual covering and play an active role in leading the early church. And I believe today that it hasn't changed today, that elders and the role of eldership in the local church is still the same today, still quite significant. In fact, we see the role of elders in the book of Titus, I think chapter 2 it is. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, there's a verse of Scripture that talks about the role of elders in the local church. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Goes on now to give the job description. Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And we see the job description here for elders, as James says, called the elders of the church. We see from these verses here that one of the roles of the elders in the local church is to shepherd the flock or to care for the flock. Amen. Then it goes on to say that the other role for elders is to be overseas, to lead the church, or in particular, watch over the church and guard the church from false doctrines. Doctrines. It's a new word. Doctrines. You just made it up. You like it? Doctrines. Hallelujah. To watch over the church and guard it from any false doctrines or teachings. And the last part or job description from, for a, 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 an elder is to be examples to the church of faith. Amen. I believe this. God chooses people in a healthy, biblically-based local church to function in the role of elder. It doesn't mean that these people are more favored but they have been entrusted with a greater spiritual authority. We would know it as delegated authority. We would understand that, but it's known as delegated authority. And Jesus touches a little bit on delegated authority. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, he says this, He who receives you 
receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. You see the delegated structure of authority there? Hallelujah. You know, I love being a part of our, our movement, INC, uh, Australia and around the globe. And, uh, you know, Christ, uh, God, our Father, He's the ultimate authority. He set Jesus over the church as the head of the church. Aren't we happy about that this morning? And then Jesus then uh, appoints um, leadership over the, the, the life of the local church. And for our movement, we have our national chairman, Ross and Kathy Chapman, uh, Ross and Kathy Abrahams, who are the national chairman that oversight Australia. They bring authority and leadership to that. Then we have our state, which is uh, Pastor Phil Campbell, he's the, uh, the, the oversight, the, the authority for the state of New South Wales. And then we have the local church here. <laughs> That's Rach and I. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the... Oh. <laughs> Just let me open my mouth a little bit wider and I'll put my other foot in. <laughs> that was a... That was that was really bad. <laughs> Cheer <with> me. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever wear that one down. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> you see, the clear structure, clear, clear levels of authority. And I, and I love it. I think the, the safest place to place yourself is in a local church that has clear spiritual authority and is based upon biblical principles. Amen? I believe that's the safest place that you can bring your family, whether it be this local church here or another local church, whatever local church, make sure that it's biblically based and it has a sound structure of leadership and authority over it. Amen? And this is why James then singles out the elders. He's singling out people with a greater authority to come together and to pray in faith. You get it this morning. That's why he says, call the elders, because the elders are being called by God and they carry a greater spiritual authority. They're not different to anyone in the church. They're not more favored than anyone. They're just called by God. They're chosen by God to play that particular role in this particular setting. You got it this morning? So Jane then goes on to say in verse 14, part B, he says, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Is our oil over there this morning? Can I just get our oil there? I love this. We often anoint people with oil. And you know, this oil, this was delivered from heaven. It actually smells like vegetable oil. It really does. I think it's vegetable. Can't we up the budget a little bit? Maybe perfumed oil or something like that? It's just oil. But it's symbolic. It's powerful when you combine the authority, the ordained leadership from God, and you mix the anointing oil together. There's great power in that. Because the oil symbolizes a, a number of things. Firstly, the oil represents the anointing of God or the approval of God. First Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel comes and anoints David with oil as a future king. God's approval, God's stamp of approval upon his life. And then we see the oil also represents or is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. 
In Matthew chapter 25, verses 3 to 4 there, it talks about the wise and the foolish virgins. The wise ones had their oil or their lamps full of oil, representing the Holy Spirit. The oil is representative of God's approval. It's also representative or symbolic of the Holy Spirit on our lives. And also, the anointing oil is symbolic of healing. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? He just didn't bind up his wounds. He also anointed him or poured oil over his body as well. The anointing oil, even though that's just, that's bad stuff. Oh, shouldn't say that. We need to get some more oil. You can cook chips in that. And we're probably going to anoint people shortly. Hallelujah. Where you go home and they'll say, where you been? I've been to the fish and chip shop after church. I just smell a bit like, smell a bit of fish. All right, I'll stay up here, Phil. Sorry. <laughs> but you get it this morning. So there's something quite powerful when James says, call for the elders to pray and we come together in faith before God and we get the anointing oil and we anoint people and the elders of the church pray for people. There's something powerful. That's why James says, call the elders and anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith. Hallelujah because there's something powerful in that. So when should we call for the prayer from the elders? When should we reach out and say, well, I, I would love prayer? Well, certainly not when you have a cold or you're having a bad day. I don't think that sort of prayer is really at that level of trials and, and diversity of life. But I believe this, prayer like this is for when we are facing the big challenges in life, like when there's illness in our lives or in our family. When there's struggles with our families, we should call out to the elders and ask to be anointed with oil. When we're having trouble in our marriages, we should call to the elders and ask for that authority to come down upon our marriages. When there's distress with our children, when we're facing financial difficulty, whatever it may be, when we're going through difficult trials, can I encourage all of us that God has placed elders in our local church here to be a blessing to you to be a point of faith to you as well when you're facing trials and difficult things. Amen. So that's the first thing that Paul, James encourages us here in James chapter 5 and verse 19 and on, um, that, that, that we call for the elders to pray the prayer of faith and to anoint us with oil when we're going through a difficult time. The second encouragement from James' book, and I'm almost finished, is that we pray fervently. But before he tells us to pray fervently, I want us to look at this verse of Scripture here um, in verse 15. And it says this, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed or she has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Confess your trespass to one another. Whoa. Who did that this week? Oh, bless you. Okay, another question. No one sinned this week. What a great church. I love our local church. Eh? It's the best one ever. But it's powerful. It says, confess your sin to one another. There's a real vulnerability and transparency in that. And I think oftentimes we, we just don't quite do that. But it's in the word of God for us to do that. Amen. But you know, the, the powerful thing about this verse I wanted to highlight is look at what it says after confession. Confess your trespass to one another. And pray for one another that what? What? You may be healed. In fact, I would say that unconfessed sin 
will limit and hold back God's healing power in and over our lives. Absolutely. I don't believe this this morning, that if you've got an illness in your body, it's because of sin. I don't believe that doctrine at all. I believe we, we live in a fallen world and there are many things that need to be overcome and overcome by faith. But I do believe that potentially unconfessed sin in our lives will limit God's anointing to heal and His power to heal our lives. Amen. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus t- tells a story about uh, a, a, an individual wanting to bring a gift, uh, a, a thanksgiving um, to God, to the altar. But Jesus says to the individual, stop. Don't bring your gift until you go back and reconcile with that offended brother or sister. In other words, you could bring your gift, but it's not going to mean anything unless you get your heart right. Same with healing as well, amen. Same thing with healing. So I wanted to bring that out this morning because I believe it's so important. There could be people here this morning that are struggling with illness, but it may be that you have a root of unforgiveness in your heart that God's wanting you to deal with, amen, in order to remove that blockage so that you can be healed. Amen. It's all quiet in this Pentecostal church. Good time for a drink. So number two. Number two, James encourages us in fervent prayer. We want to look at that just for a couple of moments. He says this, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, accomplishes much, achieves much, it gets a lot done, amen. Look at it there, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And what does it mean to pray fervent prayers? Does it mean lots of loud shouting? Well, it could. You know, right now, it's just so amazing. There's been a prayer meeting that's been going on in South Africa. And there's been over a million people coming together in prayer. Million, over a million people. Yeah, if you want to know how you do it. (laughs) Don't get upset at me. It's just my funny way. But over a million people that are coming together praying fervently. What does the word fervent mean? How do we describe fervent prayers? The word fervent is defined as to be hot or to boil. Another term could be be earnest, passionate prayers. Amen? Then James goes on to use an Old Testament character as an example of what it means to pray fervent prayers. He says in verse 16, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Wouldn't you love powerful answers to prayers like that? Amen. You'd be hired, go all the way around, you know, western New South Wales and Queensland. You'd be the drought breaker. You know, often we're intimidated by Bible characters. They seem too good. They seem too holy. They seem too too self-controlled for us. Their deeds seem superhuman. Their perspective seems too great. Yet as James encourages us to be effective, fervent, praying, he reminds us of a man who prayed this way, and that was Elijah, as we said, with a nature like ours, yet he did amazing things. The thought is this. The reason God granted Elijah's prayer was not because he had another interesting chapter to add to the Bible or because he owed Elijah a special favor. 
He was a regular guy like you and I, yet when regular righteous people pray earnestly, God acts. God moves when we pray earnestly and we pray out of a righteous heart. In other words, we're confessing our sin and, and saying, God, I've, I've stumbled in this sin. When we pray earnest prayers, God moves. Hallelujah. Come on. When was the last time you prayed an earnest prayer that was hot and on the boil? Come on. That's the sort of prayer that God's calling us to. That's the sort of prayer that, that James infers that we need to pray fervently, fervently, passionate, white hot prayers. White hot prayers. It doesn't mean that you have to shout and do all that. And if you want to do that, that's fine as well. But it's more about the heart. Stirring the heart, saying, God, this is not right. This is what your word says. This is what you declared. This is what you promised, Lord. I'm not going to have whatever the enemy's trying to serve up to be no God. You said in Jesus' name, you said all things are possible to those who believe God. You said nothing's impossible if I believe. You said, if I ask, it shall be given. So, Father in heaven, I'm asking in Jesus' name. Passionate, fervent prayer. Hallelujah. He encourages us in that. Praying passionate, fervent prayer. Earnestly is not to be overlooked. It, it describes a spirit of continual, energetic, enthusiastic, faith-based praying. It's not easily dissuaded, or, or, nor does it forget what is asked. It sees prayer as more than a throwaway, last champ, attempt of getting what we need. Elijah was no superhuman. He was just a man, yet he prayed earnestly and received what he requested. You know, this is the sort of prayer that Jesus encourages us in as well. If you would like to this week to go to Matthew, excuse me, to Luke chapter 11, you'll see there that that chapter starts with the model of prayer. And Jesus brings a, 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 an illustration to us about the, the, the continuous and the persistence and the passion of prayer when he talks about a friend who is in need of food, bread for his family. He has another friend in town uh, that uh, has, a, a, I guess you'd say, a bread shop. And he goes to the man late at night and he knocks and the man says, no, I'm not coming out. It's too late at night. I have all my family there. But then the man just keeps knocking and keeps knocking and keeps knocking and keeps knocking and keeps asking. And in the end, the man says, because of your persistence, I will arise now and, and bring you the bread. Jesus says in the same way, we should seek, we should knock, we should ask. Being consistent, being passionate in our prayers. Amen. It says it in verse 8 of Luke chapter 11. Yet because of his persistence, he will arise and give him as many as he needs. Can I encourage you, whatever you're facing, facing right now, may you be persistent and passionate in your prayers. Did you know our Father in heaven is not embarrassed by your passion? He's not, he's not scared by passion. He's not, he's not intimidated by passion. He loves it when his children pray passionately to him. Thank you, Dennis. You get it? He loves it when we come together and we pray passionately. And I would love to believe this morning as well, in the coming months, that we will be a church that will be praying passionately for the persecuted church. Hallelujah. In fact, why don't we all stand to our feet right now? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just, we just thank you that you hear our hearts, you hear our prayers. Lord, we just come to you today in Jesus' name and we lift the church to you today, across the globe today. 
Father, in particular, we pray right now for those people that are being persecuted for their faith in some of the countries like Egypt and Syria, Iraq, Iran, Yemen, Lord, Pakistan, Lord. The list just goes on and on. And Father, today we just cry out to you for them. They're our brothers and our sisters of faith. And we just ask today that you would give them the strength to persevere that you would give them the courage, Lord, to to love. You would give them the ability to be able to forgive, that, Lord, you you would see that you have called them to be light in a dark world. So, Lord, today we thank you for the church across the globe. Lord, even though as the enemy continues to push back against it, we thank you that your word declares that the gates of hell will not prevail, will not prevail. And that, Jesus, you said you will build your church. So we thank you today right across the globe. We thank you for the revivals that are taking place even in China right now, Lord, that there's a mighty move of your spirit. Thank you in South Africa right now that there's a mighty move of your spirit, Lord. Lord, we pray today in Australia that there would be a mighty move of your spirit in this country, Lord. So Father, we thank you. We just lift our petitions before you. Lord, we thank you. Your word declares that if we ask according to your will, it shall be done for us. And we say amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Hallelujah. So the last little thought that James brings us this morning, number three, is that we need to be praying for the wandering believer. In verse 19, it says, Brethren, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is so interesting because this is how James concludes the last part of his writing in the book of James chapter 5, verse 19. This is the last exhortation and encouragement that he brings to us. Very, very interesting. In James' last word, he encourages us to seek out those who have wandered or strayed from the truth and to turn them back. Do you know anyone today that is wandering or straying from the truth? To wander, to walk or move in a leisurely or aimless way. No purpose anymore in life other than self. To move slowly away from a fixed point or place. To live aimlessly. To wander from a fixed point or place. How many people do we know that are like that today? That are wandering away from their faith. James' encouragement to us is to convince them to turn back. I think this, this morning, as I conclude, if I could just have the keyboard player, please. One of the biggest deceptions today, and there are so many out there, there are so many false teachings and alluring thoughts, blab it and grab it, fake it till you make it. I mean, there's so many deceiving thoughts but I think one of the biggest deceptions today is this that I can be a Christian love Jesus but have nothing to do with his church 
I can love God without belonging to a church. That, friends, is deception. List scripture after scripture. Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Jesus said, Matthew 16, I will build my church. What's church? It's this. What's church? It's this. Are we all perfect? I am. My mother used to say, you're not perfect, but you're the closest thing to it. (laughs) Just joking. Are we perfect? Have we got it all together? Of course not. Do we love each other? Most of the time, yeah. Sometimes we have difficulties, yeah, but we work through them. This, we, this is the church. You can't, you, can't, you can't have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and declare Him to be your Lord and your Master without loving intimately His people. It's one of the marks of faith, First Peter. Amen. And that's one of the big deceptions today. James says that we should be committed to turning back wandering brothers that have strayed away from the faith. John chapter 15, Jesus brings us a teaching about the vine, the vine tree, the vine dresser, and the branches. He says in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. We're connected together. Whether we like it or not, we're connected together. And when we come together as the church, those that are called out, that's what the word church means. We are His bride. Not perfect, but we are His bride. And I believe that God wants us to lovingly and courageously encourage people who have wandered or turned back away from their faith and encourage them to take a turn around as we speak the truth in love and encourage them to engage in their faith again. Engage in their faith. You know, This is how we grow together. It's how you grow. You you, you can't grow without being a part of the the church, a part of the body. Amen? Because we we learn stuff when we're in the body. We learn how to forgive. Amen? We we, we learn how to get on with one another. What we learn when we're connected to the body never learn outside of the body. Amen? God wants us to be courageous enough to go to those people that you know. You know them. And encourage them. And exhort them in love and say, hey, you need to come back. You need to be a part of the body. You can't love Jesus and not love what He loves. He loves His church. Amen? So as we conclude today, over our journey, we've seen in the book of James the purpose of the trials that we face. We've seen that James encourages us not to be just hearers, not, not, not just to be doers of the word, but we are to be, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Amen. We've also seen in the book of James that faith without works is useless, that God wants us to mix our faith with our works together. 
We've also seen in James as well that we need to tame our tongue. We need to be so careful with the words that we speak, knowing that God will judge us for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. We've seen also in James that there's such a power in a humility, in a humility of heart, that God wants us to be humble before Him and humble before one another as well. And we've also looked to the purpose of money as well. I don't know about you, but thoroughly in love this journey and so looking forward to what God has coming for us in the coming months as well. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? Love to, uh, love to finish our service together. If I could just have the band come up as well.